Welcome to uh, this episode of the Silver Fox Entrepreneurs. Today I've got the pleasure of introducing an old friend, Richard Robinson. Richard Robinson's based in Beijing, although he is originally from Boston. Richard and I first met back in '97 when he was running a mobile games business in Hong Kong, and I was running an internet business out of Singapore. So, welcome Richard to talk today about China and about health and where he sees the greatest source of wealth in his life coming from. So, welcome, hey, you know, Richard. Thank you very much for joining us from Beijing, and uh, Rich Robinson. Share a little bit about yourself, your background, and why you're a Silver Fox entrepreneur. Jim James, ladies and gentlemen, such a pleasure and honor. My old friend, we both have uh, alliterative names, Jim James, Rich Robinson, Clark Kent, Peter Parker. I guess we are the aging superheroes of the uh, uh, startup world, Um, although I definitely feel uh, more like a... uh, super villain that's been beaten up over the last few decades as a serial entrepreneur. So I've been here for 25 years here in the middle kingdom as a serial entrepreneur. And uh, I love the art of the start. I've been part of eight startups, three as an exec and private companies that went public and five as a founder sold three to publicly listed companies. And I've been involved with hundreds of others uh, as a mentor through 500 startups or China Accelerator or Hacks or Stanford Ignite and dozens of others as a board member, advisor, um, angel investor in the war room, so to speak. And I teach uh, entrepreneurship at uh, Peking University here in Beijing. Uh, I teach um, executives uh, about innovation and uh, going global. And I also teach at the Alibaba University down in Hangzhou about the spirit of uh, entrepreneurship. I have three kids, entrepreneurial wife, and uh, all my chips on red here in the Middle Kingdom. Great, Richard. And this is, I mean, you and I have known each other since 2007 when you convinced me to go to Dubai and uh, and we learned about EO and uh, the entrepreneurs organization. Yeah, sorry. We've known each other since the late 90s in Hong Kong. Oh, that's right. My word, there's a whole part of my life that just evaporated from my mind from when I had my dot-com back in 98 in Singapore. That's right. So you and I have known each other for, wow, 20-odd years now. Um, So tell me, I mean, (laughs) you and I have been doing entrepreneurship for for a long time now. So um, tell me, what's your um, view on why it's the best to be an entrepreneur later on in life, you know, as a maturepreneur? What have you found is different to when you were younger and why is it better? I think both uh, subjectively and objectively and qualitatively and quantitatively, there's no doubt that it is the uh, entrepreneur that is on the wrong side of 40 or the wrong side of 50 that is uh, much better suited uh, to uh, the entrepreneurial uh, pursuits. There is a narrative that it's about the young uh, naive optimist who lives on ramen noodles and is like maybe Daffy Duck. You know, I'm so crazy. I don't know. This is impossible. Um, and, you know, once in a while, uh, those entrepreneurs like a Zuckerberg will, uh, um, will hit it big. Uh, and the press loves those stories. Um, but I think the uh, true uh, best suited 
uh, person, for entrepreneurs, somebody who's not a naive optimist, but I would say an informed realist. So you've been working in an industry, you have the experience, you have the skills, you have the network, and you have probably like an insider secret. You see that something is broken. You know that you can create a solution to that problem. But more importantly, you know that you can exploit that opportunity. It's not just about creating a solution to a problem. Uh, It's really about exploiting an opportunity. And that um, really takes the skills and the network and the, you know, industry know-how to be able to get that done. And I think you're right. One, one minor comment, you said being on the wrong side of 50, you know, for those of us on the other side of 50, I, I might argue it's the better side of 50. Sure. So, um, sure. When you talk about exploit, there's a big chasm between having the idea, seeing the opportunity and making that into a sustainable business. Now you've done that multiple times. Do you want to just take us through some of the learning, some of the steps, some of the things that you kind of know how to do when you start a new business? What's your kind of toolkit, your checklist? Just walk us through that, can you, Richard? Certainly. I think there are uh, very uh, learnable skills around the foundation of entrepreneurship, you know, the ideation and team building and product development and marketing and then, you know, raising capital and uh, the, uh, the, the expansion of that. Um, and I think that a lot of those skills are, um, already internalized by people who have, who have had a career, whether it's, you know, it doesn't have to be entrepreneurial. It could be in the, even in the, you know, government or, uh, corporate or some sort of, you know, nonprofit organization. Um, there are a lot of, uh, you know, team building skills around that. Um, but I think probably more importantly, it's being resilient and having the desire to um, be a continuous learner and to um, cross the river by feeling the stones, so to speak. There's an expression in Chinese, which is uh, um, which means to cross like a, a rushing river, um, but you can't see uh, what's underneath. You have to kind of use your toes to kind of definitely uh, find the right footing, touch the rocks by going across. And I think it's a mix of those skills of that sort of fundamental, um, uh, you know, sort of basis of, of, of doing business, but also the ability to not be discouraged and to be relentlessly resourceful and find your way across. And I think, um, you know, that wisdom that comes with age is very helpful around that. Richard, I love that. And your Chinese is much, much better than my Mandarin. Uh, So um, how do you think it's different starting a business away from where you live? I mean, you started businesses in China. I started them in Singapore and China. How do you see it as being different if you're not in your home country? Yeah, you know, it's it's both um, a risk multiplier as well as uh, an ability to uh, dip into new new opportunities. So I think the risk multiplier, of course, you know, someone once told me you don't have to necessarily understand Chinese 
to be successful in China, but you have to understand Chinese. So um, even if you don't speak the language super well, you have to really understand the local uh, culture to be able to get things moving. And maybe you have a lack of a network and, you know, so that, that's, uh, that's the risk multiplier, but, you know, you can also bring in Western sensibilities and you can bring in uh, global connections and um, sort of your, your approach that can give you um, perhaps a competitive advantage um, in, in that market. And it's not always guaranteed. And I think these days, China is much more difficult for, for foreigners. I think probably a place like Indonesia, which has got 3,800 US dollars in GDP per capita, hits 4,000 in GDP per capita. And then there's a lot of things that are unlocked in the digital economy and other opportunities, a little more chaotic and raw, so more opportunities there. Um, so I think, I think there's, there's certainly, there's certainly that. Um, um, and I think also, uh, what do I know? You know, is that old saw of like the fish that's swimming in the, in the ocean and older fish and he sees two younger fish and good morning, sir. Good morning, guys. Hey guys, how's the water? Oh, the water's great. And then he swims away and they said, what the hell is water? So I don't even know. I've had my entire career out here, so I'm not even sure what it is like to work in the West versus working in the, uh, working here in China. So I'm kind of uh, uh, broken in that regard. Well, it's interesting you say that. I mean, one of the aspects of running a business is differentiation, that, you know, you need to be different. And one of the things I found working both in Singapore and China was that by being a foreigner, I was already differentiated. And... I didn't have to do that part of the work, you know, you had to build systems and brand, but you, your very, your very nature meant that you stood out in the market. And that can also group sometimes just be a massive, massive win uh, without having to do anything extra. You mentioned China, Richard, uh, and you mentioned it's getting harder. Can you share your insights? Why is it getting harder? Do you think, is it uh, political? Is it economic? Or is it just that the competition in China from domestic entrepreneurs is getting stronger? Certainly all of the above. I mean, I think it was much more Wild West when we first got here um, 20 years ago. And I like to say that in China, everything is possible, but uh, nothing is easy. Uh, That's certainly uh, still the case. Um, And, you know, the natural progression and evolution of the country has made things a little more buttoned up and a little more, um, you know, challenging uh, to just comply. But then at the same time, you know, in my business, which is the business of doing innovation driven on enterprises, right? I, I think there's sort of two distinct uh, types of entrepreneurship. One is we know exactly what the business model is. We know exactly what the product and service is. For instance, I'm going to start a consulting service or I'm going to open a restaurant or I'm going to open a, you know, clothing boutique. Like those business models have existed for centuries even. Um, But the kind of innovation driven stuff that I've been doing, which is let's create an app or a service um, where it's not quite been done before, you know, that's sort of Silicon Valley type innovation there are many, many ecosystems, you know, the Silicon Roundabout in, in London, Berlin, my hometown of Boston, you know, Los Angeles, Singapore. Um, but 
unquestionably, uh, qualitatively and quantitatively, the only ecosystem that is anywhere near close and in some ways rivals and even exceeds Silicon Valley is Beijing. And uh, one measure is the number of unicorns, number of companies valued at over a billion US dollars. Uh, Beijing actually has more than uh, Silicon Valley and is actually producing more now than, than Silicon Valley is, is actually exceeded it. Um, so here in Beijing, if you're an internet entrepreneur, the ecosystem is highly evolved and extremely um, well-funded, uh, and there's um, just gladiatorial-type competition. So that's the, the world that I live in here. There's a big perception previously that China was a copycat culture and the big brother sort of um, protected everything. But what I live and breathe every day is innovation and competition. And Richard, how do you compete, you know, as a foreigner um, and experienced and seasoned, of course, but how do you, how do you succeed in that gladiatorial ring? Uh, I know you're a great fighter, but any secrets? Because starting a business in a foreign market has got to be, for me anyway, one of the hardest things. So how do you get up every, every day and go back into battle? We'll be back after a quick break. Would you like to double your salary without starting another business? The easy way to do this is to join the board of another company. You get well paid for a part-time role. You get all the credibility that comes with being a board member. Plus, you get to hang out with some very cool people and learn how other businesses are dealing with their problems. If you'd like to know more, if you'd like to learn how you get your first board seat within 60 days, just click on the link below as uh, Unnoticed is a gold sponsor of our summit. So you get free tickets. Enjoy. I'll see you there. Indeed, indeed. So um, I think uh, I uh, focus on my strengths, which is I bridge companies um, going um, abroad. The last startup I founded, I was president, co-founder, but I was all about taking this kung fu ball of power, if you will, that was generated vroom, 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 here in China and then whew, pushing that out around the rest of the world. There's a lot more of that happening these days. Um, a lot of companies have global ambitions and global footprints, and they need that. Um, and then um, these days, I do a lot of investing and advising, and I help companies bridge into China as well, too. Um, and, uh, you know, that gives me uh, a defensible position um, these days. So, so that's an interesting point. One of the things that you and I discussed before is that we both started companies for many, many years, and then moving into more of a mentorship and, in your case, teaching role, how are you sort of redefining and reinventing yourself in the market from a, from a positioning point of view? And what are you doing uh, to let people know that you're playing a new role? Yeah, great question. So, you know, my wife, uh, M, who you know well, really helped me to really define who I am, like really, really like figure out my purpose. And I think if I could summarize myself in two words, I would say curious connector. So I love learning and I love, um, I'm, I'm an extrovert, extrovert, so I love connecting people 
to people, but also people with ideas and opportunities and companies. And uh, I love to be a continuous learner. Um, I love this exercise by Tim Ferriss. He talks not about goal setting, but about fear setting. What's your fear? And my biggest fear unquestionably is um, stagnation. I don't want to become irrelevant. I want to stay in the game. And I think um, I never want to retire. I have a 30-year plan. I'm 52. I want to stay engaged well into my 80s. And I think as a um, person who can uh, connect and cajole and counsel, you know, that's really where I fit. And so teaching, I've found, is a fantastic way for me to sharpen the axe. I'm forced to learn by teaching. I have to keep it fresh and I have to bring in, use my connecting powers to bring in amazing guest speakers, um, young and old uh, entrepreneurs and people in the ecosystem. And uh, my advisory work, the same. I get to harvest, but also refresh and expand my network and expand my knowledge into new uh, verticals like ed tech. I wasn't involved in education technology a couple of years ago, but now I've helped three companies do that. And um, now I have a pretty good network and pretty good um, view of that. So I found that um, definitely um, as I age, um, I can really focus on my strengths, but harvest my, my wisdom and my connections. And then I found the real sweet spot is where I um, have an intersection of multiple verticals. So to be able to, for instance, say uh, right now I'm helping a company that's doing um, mobility, but also leveraging artificial intelligence and also leveraging you know electronic vehicles and like you know that's the, those are those are like a, an intersection of a new industry that I can um, quickly. Um, build up my my connections around. Great, Richard. You've always been a, an amazing connector and an amazing originator of ideas too. And one of the things that you've always uh, inspired in me is around around fitness. You talk about being fifty, but if anyone was to meet you, they would not think you're fifty. You look amazing, and you're super fit. How do you do that? You want us to talk about how? Because when I met you originally, that was not the case. So you want to just tell us about the physical journey because. Staying young is also a physical issue as well as an intellectual one. So can you share what you've learned and your wisdom, your practices there? Yeah, nice. Good question. So I, I, I crumbled. I literally crumbled in my 30s. I was always fit. I was always very keen um, exerciser. And then I um, subscribed to the SAD, the standard American diet, which is eat whatever you want, whenever you want, however much you want. And um, so I think diet is absolutely unquestionably the pillar. Um, and there's three levers that I pull. Um, there is the um, diet lever, um, you know, what I eat. There's the time lever, uh, when I eat. And there is the um, caloric lever, um, how much I eat. And I'm always pulling the first two. So for diet, it's really simple. I try to get 10 different colors of vegetables into my body every day. Data really shows that, you know, if you um, just jam a lot of different colorful vegetables into your body, then that's an amazing building block. Um, and then the other one is I really try to eliminate sugar. It's really just poison. 
Um, and then for timing, I uh, subscribe to a uh, 16-8 or an 18-6. So if you eat within a time-restricted window, it's, uh, it's hugely beneficial for a number of reasons. You can look at circadian rhythms and look at uh, Dr. Sachin Panda or uh, Rhonda Patrick um, or Dr. Peter Atia. Um, and then the third lever of caloric restriction, um, I pull that once a month. I do a one-day uh, fast uh, every month, uh, 24, 36 hours. Um, and then once a quarter, I do three to seven days of water-only fasting, which is perhaps the number one thing that we can do as we're aging um, for health. It has insanely beneficial um, outcomes um, by uh, having a, a, a extended fast for more than 48 hours. It's um, it basically eats autophagy, eats all you know damaged cells and, uh, and boosts your immune system and um, probably uh, kills cancer cells. So that's that's uh, that's diet. And for exercise, um, I basically do strength, cardio, and uh, flexibility. And I you know put put that into um, my schedule. It's um, basically become part of the fabric of my life. And then sleep, there's this book called Why We Sleep that just came out. Um, and it is, you know, Jeff Bezos says I get eight hours of sleep a night because it's good for my shareholders. Like uh, sleep is the ultimate, uh, you know, um, sort of um, superpower um, to be uh, showing up as the best version of yourself. And um, the other two things that I do is I meditate and I also um, do a lot of sauna use. There are incredible benefits for doing four plus days um, in, uh, in 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 the sauna, um, and you know who knows? I could get hit by a bus, or I have some sort of genetic disposition. But I mean, what is wealth um, if you don't have your health? And to really, really, I spend at least an hour um, a week uh, reading about uh, new studies of health, and I, I really become an avid student um, of that, and it's uh, paid um, incredible dividends. Could you just explain a little bit about your approach to keeping relationships going? Because you travel a lot, your uh, your wife M travels a lot. You have um, you know children from one marriage, and you're building a new family. If you're comfortable sharing, because I think a lot of people are in that position. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. I think as I um, get longer in the tooth, I'm uh, convinced that it's important to be vulnerable and to be you know authentic and. You know, I'd started a company um, in 07 with my uh, then ex-wife, uh, then wife, now ex-wife. And, uh, you know, she moved in with the COO and got pregnant. Um, and, uh, you know, we had two boys together. Um, but now we have this messy, manageable, modern family. I've remarried. You were at our, our lovely wedding. I've um, really met the amazing love of my life, 15 years younger. And we have a little three-year-old girl. And my ex has a little seven-year-old girl, and then we share these, you know, two half Chinese kids, and uh, it's a big, messy, manageable modern family. But it, but it all works. And love, joy, forgiveness, and I'm the godfather of, you know, that little girl. Um, and uh, yeah, what's the what's the point to be grumpy about it? You know, the universe rewarded, and I have this beautiful uh, daughter in my life, and this this you know little god goddaughter who we call them sisters, right? So I think, I think that's one thing, but I think also I ask my students, like, why are you here? Like, what's the point of being in 
an MBA class. Um, and there's wealth and status and power and impact and all of those things are important. But the one thing that trumps all of those things are relationships. And I think um, the great news is that um, there's this amazing TED Talk, TEDx Beacon Hill set uh, in Boston, in my hometown, where they followed these um, men for 80, 90 years. Now they're following their children. And they asked them the predictor of their um, happiness in the future. And um, it turns out it was all about relationships. It's all about relationships. So that's, that's really the good news is that relationships are the, you know, the ultimate sort of metric for, for success, right? Warren Buffett says happiness or success is when the people you love, love you back. That's great. The downside is that a bigger predictor of ill health more than a sedentary or obese lifestyle is isolationism. And a lot of people are lonely and isolated, especially men, because they're not as great at maintaining relationships as women. And uh, they kind of let relationships, you know, go to the wayside. And you have to be really intentional, like you and I did with the Entrepreneurs Organization, and meet on a monthly basis. And you know, maintain and keep these relationships and work with people. And that's why I love teaching. That's why I love mentoring, being with younger people, adding value around that, learning from them. You know, that's super, that's super powerful, giving my time. And I always like to have a plus, equal, and a minus, where I have a person older than me, more experienced uh, that I have as a mentor. And then I have an equal, which is somebody who's a peer mentor, and we really kick each other's asses. And then I have, you know, minus somebody at least seven or maybe even 20 years younger than me, 30 years younger than me that I, uh, that I can mentor and, you know, guide. Richard, that's a, a wonderful and articulate answer. And, and obviously a really sensitive one, which is what I come to know and love about you too, as a man, Richard, thank you for sharing. And if people want to find out more about you, uh, where can they go to find out about you as a man, what you've learned, uh, what you're doing in China? And as an entrepreneur, as a dad, sure, yeah, Richard uh, Richard Robinson, um, you know, at Twitter, um, and also um, Richard Robinson on uh, on LinkedIn uh, as well as well too. And I guess you can just uh, Google Google that and see New York Times piece and Channel Daily piece and other stuff about my entrepreneurial journey and my life. And uh, yeah, it's a pleasure and honored to uh, be on your uh, podcast, my friend, and uh, all the best. Thank you, Richard. And obviously, we'll put links to you and everything you shared in the show notes as well. So thanks to everybody for for listening in. And uh, the reason why I'm working on Silver Fox Entrepreneurs is precisely what Richard was talking about is men, uh, later on in life, we lose connection. And actually, it's the relationships and the learning from one another that actually will keep us happy and healthy into our later lives. So thanks so much for listening. And Richard, as always, uh, I don't know whether I'm in the younger or the, the plus or the negative or the or the equal sign on your relationships, but I'm just proud to be at least one of those. You're the equal, my friend. Jim James, ladies and gentlemen, give it up. Thank you to Richard for spending his time with us today and really useful, especially some of the healthcare tips and his view on relationships being perhaps the most important source of wealth. If you'd like to find out more about Richard, you can find him on LinkedIn, Richard Robinson, China. He's the only one there and he is a superstar 
on LinkedIn. You can also just Google him, Richard Robertson, China. That's us for Silver Fox Entrepreneurs for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Again, if you like it, please subscribe under the Apple iTunes and leave us a rating. Look forward to tuning in with you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.